0: In this episode of FieldLink, we're going to become bean-wise. Today's episode will focus on soybeans. Soybeans have been around for centuries. According to Iowa State University Department of Agronomy, the first users of domesticated soybeans were believed to be by the Chinese in the northeast part of the country, somewhere around the 11th century. The United States leads the world in soybean production at approximately 32% of the total global output. China's ranked fourth. On this episode, we're going to become Beanwise and we're going to travel across the country and we'll start off by visiting with agronomist Ryan Lee out of Indiana as he shares some insights with us about soybean production as it relates to the central part of the U.S. Then we're going to jump over to Nashville, Tennessee and visit with Jody Lawrence to get a quick commodity update. And then we'll visit with Josh Gaddy, agronomist in North Carolina, and Shane Powers, also an agronomist in the state of Mississippi. And they're going to share some insight around soybean production as it relates to their geographies. Then finally, we'll wrap up with Brad Hammes in Iowa, as Brad shares with us a little insight around a new product called Full Scale for your soybean crop for the 22 year. Stay tuned for FieldLink. With us today on FieldLink is Ryan Lee, an agronomist out of Indiana. Ryan, welcome to FieldLink.
1: Hey, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: Today, we've asked Ryan to stop in and visit with us, uh, uh, share a little more information uh, about soybeans, uh, and to help us better be prepared and become a little bit more bean-wise. There's definitely a huge uptick in the grain market as it relates to soybeans today. The USDA is taking, uh, they're actually talking right now, rather, uh, about implementing some new programs, around double cropping uh, for beans this year Uh, in order to simply put more soybeans on the marketplace, as there is a little bit of fear that there may be some deficits globally. So to help us better understand soybean production, we're asking Ryan Lee, our agronomist from Indiana to join us.
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you, Bill, here in Northern Indiana um, and, and in Ohio, the story here recently has been just kind of cool and wet weather Uh, There were a couple of windows that popped open and some, some farmers hit it really hard and smashed some beans in the ground. Um, And then it, then it turned off cold again. I think we're, I think we're getting now into a period where, you know, planters can roll pretty good. Um, But, you know, just thinking about, thinking about management of soybeans um, I think, you know, we're going to talk about uh, some, some fertility questions as well, but, you know, if you look at a, you look at a soybean, 95%, 96% of that soybean is going to come from the air and from sunlight and from uh, water, um, which, you know, is photosynthesis. And so, you know, that, that's the biggest part of the soybean by far and away. That's the part that we want to try and manage the most. That's where we get the most bang for our buck. That's why we talk about, you know, getting earlier planting, uh, you know, branching on our soybeans um, so, you know, I think, I think that's probably one of the first things we need to think about is just how do we, how do we get the most out of the sunlight that we can, how much, or, you know, how, how much sunlight can we capture, uh, throughout the year? So I think, you know, maybe that might, that might be a good place to start.
0: Like all crops, soybeans are really important, just like corn and wheat, no matter what crop it is, starting off right with a good fertility program is always important. And soybeans are really no different.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. They're, they're not any different, but for whatever reason, we sort of treat them differently. So uh, around this area of the Midwest, it is really common for us to throw fertilizer in front of corn. When I say fertilizer, I mean your, your potash and your phosphorus fertilizer. And we'll put that on in front of corn. We'll run a corn season and then we'll plant beans the next year. And the kind of, the hope is that there will be fertility in the ground for that soybean to pick up after, after corn, um, you know, really a lot better way of managing that is splitting that dry fertilizer application up into a year by year application. And so that doesn't, you know, that forces, it doesn't force it, it allows your beans now to, to not have to scavenge, you know, whatever is left over from the corn. I mean, corn has a pretty good removal of both phosphorus, phosphorus very high and and potash as well. And so, you know, you're asking a lot from soybeans to try and scavenge after a corn crop. So, yeah, you're right. Spreading some fertility in front of beans, I think, is probably step number one in getting better yield.
0: Ryan, I think you bring up a really good point. You know, traditionally, a lot of growers across the country have treated soybeans as kind of that rotation crop in many places that can add a little more nitrogen to my field uh, for for the following corn year. You know, the the growers view it as, I don't have to put a whole lot of investment into that crop. Ryan, can can you walk us through the economics of today's soybean crop? And, you know, gosh, these genetics are certainly changing, uh, and uh, this crop can definitely compete much better than it has ever in the past.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. So, you know, you know, going back to this though, so if you think about, and I, we, I look at this a lot as an agronomist, we look at, you know, like tissue samples, uh, soil samples, and where, you know, where are we getting the most bang for our buck? And if you separate high yielding and low yielding soybeans, and you look at something like a tissue sample, you will find that high yielding beans tend to have higher concentrations of P and K early in the season. Um, and so, you know, that, that's really differentiating those, those two yield groups and kind of demonstrating the importance of putting fertility in front of, in front of the beans. Um, so, you know, but on the other side, you know, you were talking about them being a little bit cheaper to grow. So out of your macronutrients, you got in P and k so the nitrogen is the part that soybeans really help us out on so you look at a soybean field soybeans require more nitrogen per bushel than corn and more nitrogen per acre quite a bit more nitrogen but we don't have to put it on because we get that from these symbiotic bacteria that interact with the roots through nodules um, you know, if you had to pay for that nitrogen, you wouldn't be as excited about about growing soybeans. So, um, you know, I think trying to encourage that as most as best we can, um, that's another way of taking advantage of the economics of soybean.
0: And I think Ryan, you bring up a really good point about nodulation and 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 I guess what I'm going to call the free nitrogen process. This year, a lot of uh, in a lot of parts of the country, uh, we're we're a little bit behind in planting. Um, Nothing, too, to get totally concerned about quite yet, but we've got some ground that's fairly wet in certain parts of the country, and that could certainly have an impact on emergence and, uh, you know, just the fact of that plant emerging and getting up and getting going early. Ryan, what are some recommendations from a, an agronomist standpoint uh, that kind of concerns you as about uh, around soybeans, uh, especially when we start talking about soybean treatments and inoculations this year?
1: it's kind of break them apart. So again, you go back to those tissue samples and you look at high yielding beans, they tend to have higher concentrations of nitrogen the entire season. And I'm talking really early all the way to the end. And so that, that really is a foundation. Building some nodules is a foundation, a little bit of, you know, too wet weather, too cold a weather. Um, you know, if we rotated away from soybeans for several um, seasons, you might not have the bacteria that you need in the soil in order to get good nodulation. And so putting some, you know, inoculant on your beans is really a pretty cheap insurance program, considering, you know, what it would cost if you were going to try and make that or you were going to try and buy that nitrogen yourself. Um, And so, you know, that, that really is a key. And you don't get that back you know, there's really not a way of trying to fertilize beans if you if you don't start with that foundation. Um, and so that to me is a big key is, you know, throw some inoculum on there. Um, it, you know, that, that should be sort of a cheap insurance program.
0: Of all times, now is really the time to inoculate your soybeans, obviously because of mother nature, but Hey, everyone's talking about higher fertility prices, and if we can put some cheaper nitrogen back into our soil into our crop, you know we really needed to uh consider some inoculation for our soybeans this year
1: yeah right i mean it's it's virtually free when you look at the per pound yeah so so then the other side of that are are these seed treatments, right so earlier, I was talking that. A lot of the farmers or a few of the farmers in our area really tried to slam beans in. So beans are going to take like 130 or so growing degree days to get out of the ground. So right now here in central Indiana, today, I think we've got like a high of the mid 80s and it's going to be a low of 60s. I mean, we get we're getting 20 to maybe 25 growing degree days per day. So you're talking five days and five to seven days. And those beans are going to be up and out of the ground. On the other hand, just last week, it was like a high of 60 and a low of 48. So So you're talking, you know, four growing degree days per day. That could take three or four weeks for soybeans to come out of the ground. And by the way, you know, if you did that, you planted three or four weeks ago and the beans are sitting there and you plant, you know, yesterday or today. Uh, they might emerge at the same time, and the difference is going to be the percentage of emergence that you get. Right, you're gonna you're gonna lose a lot more when it, when the soil is so cold and wet and all that business. They sat there and they rotted. So there, you know, there is a really strong argument for having a good soybean seed treatment, particularly when soils are are crummy.
0: It's always good to get out ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, Ryan, uh, the key here is no matter where you live, uh, you need to get out and look at your fields uh, just to really see and evaluate how your soybeans are performing at this stage in the game.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, an easy one to do once you get out, you know, you get a couple of uh, trifoliates out there by V2 or so, you should start to see those nodules. And you want to see, you know, a handful of those things that look really healthy when you, when you cut them open, they want you want them to see them pink. Uh, you really want to see a good spread across the roots. If you're not seeing them on the, the main taproot, that's, you know, that's probably an indication that you had pretty low uh, bacteria in the field. And again, you know, you should be thinking about an inoculant if you're, if you're planting uh, more beans, but yeah, I mean, it's an easy thing to do. Dig up some roots, take a look at it, see how things are progressing.
0: That's a tough ask for some producers in many cases across the country with compacting, uh, you know, the planting time and everyone's putting corn in the ground or soybeans, cotton, depending upon where you're at. Taking that extra 30 minutes to walk those fields, you know that you planted five to 10 days ago is really going to be darn critical this year.
1: Yeah, it, but man, is it! it's like the most fun. I feel like that's the most fun time when you put some seeds in the ground and you get to walk out there and they're all popping up and moving the soil off the top of them and um,
0: it's like watching a calf being born right in front of your eyes.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I, so I, you know, I, I hope, I hope guys still enjoy that that part. I sure do.
0: I think that's important. Step back and take that pause. We get so caught up in the process that mother nature does some pretty amazing things.
1: It does. It does. Yeah. It's fun to watch soybeans for sure.
0: So Ryan, what kind of weed activity or weed pressure are you seeing out there currently?
1: Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I think we have our standard, I think we have our standard uh, winter annuals that are always, you know, they're, they're always a problem. Um, you know, here before too long, we're really we're gonna start to see a lot of water hemp pop up. Um the giant ragweed I know is already uh, coming through. And so um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's the usual suspects around here. The difference is with our supply challenges, uh we we've really tried to push that burn down and our residual herbicides out as far as we can which i think is that's a good practice the closer you can get the burn down and the residual to planting the better because you know your clock just starts ticking the problem is now now when we kind of get in a bit of a bind and we're planting fast sometimes we get ahead of the sprayer Um, which is totally fine. You know, I think a lot of our residuals we can still put down as a pre plant meaning, or sorry, pre emergence. So meaning you've planted, but they haven't popped up. So you can still hit them with that, that pre emerge residual herbicide. Um, But once those little necks start cracking through the soil, now all of a sudden a bunch of our herbicide choices start to fall off. Um, And when temperatures are this warm, that it's not a lot of time. Like I said, maybe five, maybe seven days, and and things are going to start cracking through the ground. So I just, you know, I've just been warning us to, you know, really try and manage. That's a, it's a big operational hurdle for us to go really fast and keep everything in sync. Um, but that's going to be a critical one because really, when it comes to the tough weeds, you know, your water hemp, your Palmer amaranth. Um, those things are gonna require a residual platform. That's the only way to do a good job in soybeans with those with those really tough weeds.
0: Well, Ryan, certainly a lot of challenges for many growers across the country as it relates to their soybean crop, uh uh, currently but boy still a, a good window there a lot of great opportunities uh for soybean producers across the u.s today uh, ryan we want to thank you for your time today and all your advice to help us become more bean wise we want to thank you for joining us again here on FieldLink.
1: yeah appreciate it thanks a lot bill uh have a good afternoon
0: We now welcome Jody Lawrence from the Strategic Trading Advisors in Nashville, Tennessee, for a commodity market update. Jody, welcome to FieldLink.
2: Thank you for having me back, Bill. Hope everybody's doing well while they're out rolling around in their tractors, pulling their planters, and finally getting some seed in the ground.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely. It's that time of year and you know for some parts of the country we're certainly a little bit behind in planting but uh you know it sounds like uh you know good growing going uh, for for most of the country. Jody uh USDA they come out with some pretty big reports recently and we continue to see some up uh you know jumping around in the grain market and uh you know there's also been a lot of reports about uh some global food shortage and we're continuing to hear about more Soybean crush plants happening to affect that could potentially infect this uh, soybean market as it relates to biofuels. Right now, they're looking at around 14 plants across the United States under construction. Uh, Jody, what's uh, what's going on in the soybean market today? Well, the soybean market
2: is having a really good day post report. Uh, it's, uh, you got old crop up 30 July to 1644. You've got November new crop up 20 trading at exactly $15 as we speak. So, uh, big day. And then coming out of yesterday's USDA May update, uh, it, you would call those numbers neutral mm-hmm. the way they updated it because they, uh, the, World stocks were a little bit lower. The U.S. stocks, uh, it, they didn't really trim uh, Brazil and Argentina's production as much as a few people thought they might. So it, in general, it was pretty much in line, you know, give or take 10 million, 20 million bushels either way, which in the big picture, a world bean production is a is a It's significant when we get to these levels of tight stocks, but uh, we'll give the USDA that margin for error that uh, uh, it's easy to miss a few million bushels here and there. But uh, if you look at what's happening, uh, the bean rally uh, today, uh, you're really starting to look at what Was the concern last week while beans were under pressure was that all of the rain in North Dakota and northern Minnesota was going to put somewhere between one and two and a half million uh, plantable acres under the possibility that they either all those corn acres got switched to beans, but today's action, because when you're talking about a wetter forecast and the May 20th. And now that today's the 13th, a week from today, you've got some of the more Northern areas of the Northern Plains where their prevent plant uh, insurance starts to kick in. So when you're working through that bean thing, you went from, okay, we're going to add another million acres to beans potentially to we're, we're very easily could lose a million acres or more of corn and not be switched to beans. So the bean number is not getting bigger. And and that to me is being reflected in today's trade because you're with the November beans. I'm just looking at new crop. You're looking at uh, a a hard retest of last week's high, uh, technically looking great. And then you get to a point where you're only about 40 cents from the contract high. So Mm. Beans look good, and you hit on the uh, renewable fuel push and the biodiesel plants coming on. Uh, There's going to be an enormous amount of back-end demand in the fourth quarter of 22 and first quarter of 23 for beans for these plants to crush uh, and, and process into biofuel. And as we sit here with inflation raging, anything that U.S. and the government can support to... Uh, lower the price of diesel because diesel futures are trading today at three eighty and you're well over five dollars uh at the pump across the country so uh it, the sooner the better to start to begin to ease uh, ease more available bio diesel into the market
0: yeah it's definitely uh like i said fourteen plants currently uh you know, projected to be, you know, built here over the next, uh, you know, year or two. Uh so definitely going to impact that uh soybean demand uh, across the country. Uh Jody, let's let's shift gears a little bit to the wheat market. Lots of things happening there.
2: The wheat got was the bullish of all the numbers in yesterday's report. The U.S. wheat stocks were 31 million below estimates. The world wheat stocks were right about in line with estimates. And uh, then you project forward to next year because of the terrible quality of the wheat that is coming out right now in Kansas and in the Southern Plains. They've had as bad of a growing season as any of them can remember. You... The twenty-two, twenty-three ending stocks came in 40 uh, million bushels below. And mm-hmm. to give you an idea, uh, that's almost – the world wheat stocks as we sit today from this time last year are right at a billion bushels lower than a year ago today. So, that you've got a tremendous amount of support. July wheat got to 1198 dollars half uh, today. Uh, the the big uh, it has pulled back because it touched limit up seventy cents yesterday after the report. Then you go back to the post invasion high of twelve seventy eight, and that really, if you're looking at a chart or you're just talking about things fundamentally, that's really the only upside uh, upside target you can pick out of it. And when you start talking about new all time highs, deteriorating U.S. crop conditions, a drought expanding in Europe and the mess that still is Ukraine and Russia a lot of lot of bullish factors here even at almost $12 weight
0: well wow. and uh, you know globally it just continues to the demands there it's just a matter Can we raise it in some key areas, as you touched on, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, some pretty dry spots there, and then obviously some of the challenges we have out through Ukraine. So, uh, Jody, let's uh, take a look at uh, cotton. Uh, What do do we have happening in the cotton market today?
2: The report yesterday was kind of interesting because cotton ended up, well, uh, old and new crop, both uh, almost up $3 yesterday. They came out with a number that was as expected on the planted acreage, but they came out with a much smaller uh, final yield and ending stocks than expected. So that's why you've got cotton making another run. You've got new crop cotton uh, back up today. Uh, Over uh, 128 uh, a pound, and you go back to last week's contract high of 129.78. You're just you're just within, uh, you know, a big buy order of pushing this market up above 130, and uh, you know, really making for a dynamic cotton market as well. The only thing that really pinched cotton for a while was the rolling COVID shutdowns in China. Uh, They thought that, uh, factory, uh, factory use consumption and their processing of our raw material would be an issue. Uh, and I think everybody just because it's so dry and that you look at general, t- the Texas panhandle donut for the cotton that is either in the ground or about to be, uh, th- there's some legitimate concerns with new, new crop cotton. And if, with COVID in China, sure. uh, seem to be under control, and they're talking about uh, some easing of the restrictions next week. If China comes back with that big stimulus package that they talked about, you've, uh, you know, we already had July cotton trade to 152. There's no real reason December cotton uh, doesn't have uh, potential to go to 150 uh, if the U.S. crop stumbles a little bit.
0: And finally, uh, how's our corn looking, Jody? A lot of guys asking about Uh, corn right now.
2: uh, December corn made a new contract high today uh, in in the overnight trade, 758.5. Yesterday's numbers out of the USDA, the shocking number was in February at their economic outlook forecast meeting. They came out with a 181 trend line yield, which – Uh, adding four to last year's record, 177, optimistic but certainly doable uh, if you kind of got a Goldilocks situation with Mother Nature. But we've had anything but that, and the USDA is beginning to be more proactive and realize that they can't just, well, let's wait and see because things have a way of moderating out. And they lowered yield back to last year's record, 177. And it sounds funny to say, oh yeah, they cut it four back to a record yield and, mm-hmm. and corn was 15 higher and we're talking about new contract eyes." And I think that should highlight for everybody when you're looking at corn and marketing it and what you're doing in the field, uh, the world needs all the corn that you can get. And if we're at contract eyes coming out of a record crop on the way to producing, uh, the potential of another record crop, and December corn is trading at contract highs, right at seven fifty. Uh, that tells you, and everyone I've talked to, uh, from farmer to agronomist, everything, uh, your crop is going to need every bit of love and attention that you can put on it this year, because uh, it's it's hard not to imagine uh, if you put a program together that works, that you won't make uh, really, really good margins up here where prices are.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Definitely, this is the year to really, I guess, throw the kitchen sink at that corn crop for sure, based on what we're seeing as it relates to today's markets.
2: Okay, and one thing I would like to add, Bill, is we talked about diesel for a second, but crude is up almost $4 again today. We've had, I guess you could call it a pullback, Uh, from kind of that 115 area. Just continue to hedge your diesel fuel on any uh, 20, 25 cent breaks that you see in the market and make sure that uh, you send your oil jobber a a really nice uh, Christmas card this year uh, for being in touch to save you some dollars. Because if uh, the last time diesel uh, was this high uh, crude, was at $125 a barrel, and crude's only at 108 now. Wow. So there's substantial upside for diesel if crude just goes back to 125 which isn't the all-time high, but certainly too high for what we want to pay. So keep that in mind while you're out there.
0: Great insight from uh, Jody Lawrence at uh, Strategic Advisors uh, in Nashville. Jody, thanks for joining us here on FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Everybody be safe planting. And we're back with this episode of Beanwise, and we're going to gain some agronomy insight today uh, with agronomist Josh Gaddy from North Carolina and Shane Powers from the state of Mississippi. Guys, welcome to FieldLink.
3: Thanks, Bill. Appreciate you having us on, man. Yes, sir, Bill.
4: Thank you.
0: Guys, we're really excited to have you both here today on FieldLink to share some of your thoughts and insight uh, with us as it relates to soybeans. Let's just jump right into it. Josh, you're an agronomist from the state of North Carolina. You cover quite a range. Josh, uh, why don't you share a, with the audience a little bit about your responsibilities?
4: Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an agronomist with Helena and cover uh, basically uh, the East Coast from uh, – Georgia and Alabama, uh, all the way up to Maine, and uh, um, been here at Helena about seven years
0: now. So Awesome. And Shane, you're down in Mississippi.
4: Yes, sir.
3: I'm located in Mississippi. My actual territory goes from North Alabama all the way over to New Mexico, but uh, my primary stomping ground is up and down the river here in our North and South Delta, so Arkansas, Mississippi, Louis- Louisiana, Alabama, Tennessee, Western Tennessee, the Boot Hill, and uh, the purchase of Kentucky
0: definitely a lot of soybean acres represented in this geography today guys and 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 you're focused on getting a little bit w- wiser with soybeans, Josh, what's soybean planting progress look like uh, in your region at this point? How are the beans looking?
4: Well, I would say Bill from from the guys that I've talked to and and all around, it seems like we're ahead of schedule over here. A lot of growers uh, that I know personally are um, probably got their beans in earlier than they ever have. Uh, A a lot of them finished planting in April this year or several that I know, and that's, that's sort of unusually early for us so uh, it seems like we're ahead of schedule in my area I would say
0: you guys have had some pretty good uh, you know planning progress in that part of the country compared to other parts
4: yeah especially in the south now as we uh, up in the northeast which I also cover it has been colder and, and wetter up there but in the south we've had we've had pretty good weather to run so we seem to be a little ahead of schedule on planting and uh, soybeans are just just up good, a lot of them, and, and, and some aren't, aren't even up yet. But uh, I'd say overall, we're definitely ahead.
0: Shane, how about your geography? What are things looking like in the Delta? Well, north, south to
3: north, south, we're, we're wrapping up. I feel like I'm a little jealous of Josh here. I feel like we're, we're farther behind than he is ahead. So, you know, depending on where you're standing, we've got guys around where I'm at right now, Cleveland, who are wrapped up soybeans. Uh, in Marion, Arkansas, yesterday, those guys are 30% done planting, and that's that's two, three weeks, maybe even a month behind of where we were this time last year. So, we're doing the best we can. These rains just keep tripping us up in areas. The guys who've been fortunate enough to stay dry, they're 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 with the game or ahead of the game. But for the most part, I'd say we're we're tracking behind a couple of weeks.
0: That's all over the port across the U.S., but. That's mother nature, and that's the season 22 is turning into right now. Josh, what are some of the key tips that you can share with soybean producers uh, at this time?
4: At least one of the things I've, I've thought about going into this year is, you know, is, um, one of the issues we really face over here, or we've been battling for a number of years, is is resistant weeds, particularly palmer amaranth, and, and um, we certainly— uh, don't want to give up ground on that this year. I know there's a temptation to to try to cut what we can out of our programs to save money because inputs are up, but certainly would hate to see people give up ground on that because if you do, you're going to, you're going to be fighting it, uh, a lot worse in in future years. So, uh, I I would try to encourage people to stay the course and and have a good weed program in place, good pre-emerge program, come back with timely post and, uh, Stay on top of that and and uh, just would hate to see people um, lose ground uh, on the resistant weed front. but that's one one thing I thought about going into
0: this year. but that's a good good advice, Josh. Uh, Shane, how about your market? What are some tips that you can share with soybean producers? I would,
3: I would echo what Josh says. Uh, you know, we always want to start with that solid pre and then, and then come back with, with those posts to make sure we're, we're getting the right chemistry on the acre, you know, to target whatever it is we're going after. Uh, you know, I do feel like our guys, you know, in the field, they, they're some of the best in the business at, at going out there, scouting that acre and coming up with a good mix of what needs to be applied. Uh, we all know that uh, supply and everything has been an issue over the past year. And it's, you know, it may change as we move forward, but right now things still seem to get tight. I'd actually throw in there that, you know, the the way to save the most is to only do it once. And a good way to only do it once is to make sure we've got all the right stuff in the tank to start with. Uh, we do at Helena offer a, a spray water sample called Aqualens, which can go in there and help us identify anything that might limit the efficacy of that application. Um, when we add the right things to the tank, we can make sure we kill it the first time and we don't have to worry about running down that supply for a second application. So my addition to Josh's would be, let's, let's make sure we're getting a water sample on that spray water and making sure we're conditioning it to the point that that, that, that we're going to get the most activity out of the active that
4: we're applying.
0: That's a really good tip. Starting off with good water and understanding where you're at is very important, Josh.
4: Yeah, that's right. I- and I would, I would uh, related to what Shane said there. I've already seen a couple cases this year where growers tried to, you know, trim some some of their what they were doing on a burn down or a, or a pre-emerge program, and it's going to cost them an extra trip across the field. So anything they thought they would have saved, it, it is out the window. So. Again, if we can do it right the first time, that, that's usually always the best. Uh, so I, I've already seen that in, in uh, uh, a couple times already this year, so
0: I totally agree. Staying with that plan and sticking with that plan is really, really some of the best advice for growers. Um, Shane, you mentioned earlier some little critters are starting to uh, poke their heads up. Nematodes. Are you starting to see some of that pressure right now?
3: We're real early right now in this bean crop, but over the past two years, it really feels like that it they have become more and more common in in the soybeans I'm walking and, and looking for for different problems. They they seem to be they seem to be a, a pest that we're seeing more consistently across my geography. Um, you know, if you catch them in season, you know, normally that's too late. Uh, you know. A lot of times, the way that we figure out that we have nematodes here is we'll have an issue, we'll pull soil samples, we'll pull t- pull tissue samples, we'll, we'll rule out everything else, and that that last that last thing we generally think about is nematodes, and we'll pull a nematode sample there. And oh, what do you know? Here they are. Um, a lot of times, we'll use that for planning for the next season. And when planning for that next season, we're, we're talking about seed treatment, a nematicide seed treatment there. You know, to prevent those guys from 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 doing the damage they tend to do, that are, are looking for a variety that that offers some some resistance to those to those nematodes. So it all goes into kind of like the chemistry. It all goes into the to the planning. You know, we got to set ourselves up to win from the front. And I, and I will say, Bill, absolutely, they are becoming more common a more common issue throughout my geography. It seems to be as, as the years kind of roll on.
0: And from an agronomic standpoint, as I understand it, uh, there's really no saving grace here. Once you identify them, you've got them, and uh, you really need to turn to uh, preventative maintenance mode at that time. Is that pretty accurate?
3: Well, you can you can crop you can rotate crops to uh, to non-host crops and try to starve them out. Uh, you know, a lot of times we've got them in cotton or soybeans. We can rotate to corn, depending on what nematode it is. And uh, if if that's not a uh, a host plant for it, uh, you can reduce those numbers pretty substantially with a year or two of that rotation to that non-host
0: crop. Right. A good rotation is a good tool, but really it's it's for the following year, uh, the following season. There there's not a lot of in season, uh, I guess saving solutions. Is that correct?
4: That's correct. Yeah, Bill. One thing I I would add in, in my area related to nematodes, we've uh, we we've sort of had a push to to start growing more early maturing varieties here than we typically had. So that would be more like Group fours and real early fives. And what we find is those varieties do not have as good of a uh, nematode resistance normally is what we were, had when we were growing group 6 and 7 soybeans. So those these early varieties have a lot more yield potential. That's why we're going to them, but they're more vulnerable to nematodes. So it's something we've got to be watching for that I don't think a lot of people are probably paying enough attention to. And uh, we're probably going to see more issues over here as time goes on and we switch to more of these early varieties. So it's definitely... It's a good point that we need to be looking at, too.
0: Based on the start of the season, what are some other tips that you want to share with the growers as we really get into the heart of the growing season?
3: Well, I would say, you know, think about where we're at, Um, what we've done to this point. a couple of things come to mind. One of them, I think, is on everybody's mind lately, or has been, has been our our higher fertilizer prices, uh, which has led to some reductions in fertilizer being applied. Uh, we all know we're trying to get the most out of those seeds we're planting. We want that return on investment. So I would say make sure on those acres where we're, where we're reducing fertilizer applications or we're really trying to push yield, even with a, with a 100% fertilizer application, that we're monitoring that crop through the year. Uh, I like to do that through our extractor program here at Helena, which is our, which is our Helena tissue sampling program, where we actually monitor nutrient levels in the crop. Um, when we identify things that are low there or, or need for that plant, we can we can make applications during the season foliar applied to supplement what went on what what went out in the soil. Um, you know we're not trying to replace that soil applied application at all, one hundred percent. We're just trying to supplement and kind of bridge the gap where we may have left out uh, may have left that crop a little bit short. You think about soybean, something like a soybean, the demand it has for a nutrient like potassium is huge. You know, we do a little cut in there, we get dry, and all of a sudden that that plant can't get the potassium that it needs at at the time it needs it most, and now we have a problem. So timing those foliar applications and those extractor tissue samples, you know, to tell us the most that it can about that crop and what it needs, and then making that application when it needs it, I think that's a a great way for us to maximize our yields and get the most out of what we're putting into that crop. Uh, Josh?
4: No, I I agree, Shane. I mean, I think, you know, you know, and even if a grower, you know, a, a lot of growers probably have cut some upfront fertility this year, and so it's, I think it's a real important to keep an eye on the crop, monitor it through extractor, and and make sure, you know, we're still meeting crop needs. But but even if they didn't, with the yields we're pushing for today, there's so much demand that, uh, e- you know, even in previous years, we see a lot of lot of uh, High yield soybeans. Where toward the end of the season, when they go in the pod field, we're we're running out of potash. So, it, especially. So it's something that uh, I think monitoring with the extractors a real real smart move this year, especially. But.
0: I think you're absolutely right. Fertility has been a very hot topic, obviously, for uh, many growers for the last several months. And, uh, you know, in in many cases, their decisions have been made. Um, So now that the seed, for the most part, in the ground are going to be going into the ground shortly, now we need to monitor that in order to feed the plant the best way that we can. You know, the other thing that we talk about, guys, in, in some of these other markets where there's been an awful lot of moisture is we really do need to be thinking about this and keeping our eyes out on, on funguses uh, and, and what that market might look like uh, moving into the bulk of the growing season. Josh, what are, what's some advice that you can share with growers as it relates to fungicides uh, that we should be considering to take a look at for the 22 crop?
4: Yeah, well, like I mentioned earlier, w- um, especially now that we're growing more of these early varieties, uh, what happens when you move those early maturing varieties south is they're maturing when it's hot and humid, and they're much more prone to get uh, like pod rot, uh, phomopsis seed decay, those kind of things. And so we we believe that a fungicide is just very, uh, ne- almost a necessity on growing Early maturing soybeans in the South, so that's certainly somewhere that I wouldn't want to cut this year. I think is that needs to stay in your program no matter what. And and um, so I don't know if you got anything on that Shane, but that's, that's sort of my thought. No,
3: absolutely. You know, here in the mid South and really across the South, we are we are we are a perfect environment for these for the disease that, that tries to attack these plants out there. And anything that we can do to help that plant fend that disease off keep it happy and healthy, let it put its energy into producing that yield that we want and not just fighting disease, you know, I think that, that we need to be doing. Um, you know, a couple of modes of action there. You want some curative, you want some preventative. Uh, but I believe that a fungicide is something that's going to give you a return. And, you know, if we're really pushing yields, I want that plant happy all the time. And that, that's, that's going to help us get get to that point. Uh, I did want to add on that, on the uh, on the nutrient side, you know, we talked about extractor. But if you have soil test on an acre through our high ground platform, or if you have some of our guys pulling just just composite samples on you, you know, we talk about the big ones, the N, the P, the K a lot. Micronutrients are really big. Um, You know, the plants don't need them in as large quantities, but they're just as important to that plant. And we do offer a lot of solutions to micronutrients, uh, foliar, that can actually help carry that crop to the place you want it to be from a yield standpoint so i would say please don't sleep on the micronutrients especially as we're as we are um, you know as as we're trying to push these yields um, because lacking one of those could be just as detrimental as lacking one of the big ones so keep your eyes on those as well
0: guys i want to thank you both for joining us here today on field link and helping us all become a little more bean wise thank you bill thanks bill thanks for joining us on field link And with us today on FieldLink is Brad Hamas. Brad is a Helena product specialist out of Iowa. Brad, welcome to FieldLink. Thanks, Bill. Well, Brad, there's a lot going around uh, as far as soybeans are concerned. Growers are looking for ways to really maximize their yield this year. And boy, it it, it looks like a pretty good opportunity to put a little extra cash in our pockets uh, for many producers. So, Brad, tell us a little bit about this new product, Full Scale, and how it can benefit soybean producers.
5: Yeah, Bill, you're right. There's, there haven't been many opportunities in the last 10 to 20 years for uh, Grower to be able to to see some gains and some, some financial opportunities, some profitability like we have the opportunity to do with this year uh, based on commodity prices that you guys just heard about from, from Jody Lawrence. And so I think there's going to be a lot of interest in in a lot of products. And the one I want to talk about today is full scale, like you mentioned, of how can we get a couple extra bushels? What What is that next step maybe that that we could look at to try to really enhance that yield? Or if you've been stuck, you've been trying to trying to find ways to, to increase your yields for several years, you've done some different things and, and can't quite get past a threshold. That's really, I think, a, a good opportunity where full scale might be that tool, that that key to unlocking that next, you know, two to four or five bushels of yield. And and you look at things like that this year and that, that type of yield increase is going to be uh, significant dollars in profitability for a grower. Tell us a little bit about full scale.
0: What actually is full scale? And, you know, what makes up this particular product?
5: Yeah, so full scale is a, a new product, newer product to us. We've had it for several years. I think I've been looking at it for maybe four seasons now uh, across the the Midwest and really some of the the key soybean producing areas. Um, and it's the next product in our plant extract line of products. We have a handful of those now, and this one is geared toward the reproductive application timing. But one of the things that that I've learned, throughout my career uh, really has been that mother nature wins. Mother Nature's going to find a way, whether that's, uh, you know, when I, when I first learned about their thought about that as an idea, it was about uh, resistance to, to various uh, pest management steps and, and management tools that we had. But now as I, as I apply that same thought into crop production and to trying to get more bushels, what I think about when I think about full scale is, is if you think about plants around the world, about the only environment that you could come up with where there isn't plant life is going to be Antarctica or maybe somewhere in the far Arctic North. And so when you put that into context, there's, there's no stress that a crop might realistically be uh, exposed to that nature hasn't found a way to not only survive in, but really to thrive in. And that could be you know, an arid desert that could be, uh, you know, not quite the tree line, but, but high alpine, uh, arid environments that could be um, saline, cold, hot, dry. You know, you name the type of stress and there has been a plant that has found a way to adapt to that. And so the, the thought with these plant extract based products is most plant biology, when you get down to the real basics of it's pretty similar. You know, you've got photosynthesis and there's a couple different ways that plants do that. You've got a couple different types of growth habits being monocots and dicots. But a lot of the processes in plants are are pretty uniform, the the way that they transpire, the way that they, you know, like I said, create and use energy. And so those plants that have adapted to those extreme environments have the same processes as what we're trying to grow in our fields, you know, when we're trying to grow a, a crop of soybeans. And so if we can find what is it about that plant that grew in that hot, arid environment, that allowed it to do that and and take that chemical signal, that extract from that plant and apply it to our beans, you know, that's going to give our crop then a better chance of being able to manage through that type of environment. And what we really find with a product like full scale is that we're selecting for what we tried to find in nature when this product was developed or what plants do an exceptional job of moving nutrients into their fruiting structures. So which plants, to put it in, uh, once again, to get into that soybean context, which plants have done the best job of translocating nutrients and energies into a pod in this example? How can we magnify or increase the ability of a, of a plant, of a soybean, to move nutrients into its pods and get heavier beans and more beans that translate into bushels as, as we're trying to, to manage our crops that way? the scientists who developed full-scale
0: identified some of, of of the really good parts of different species and then pulled them all together and said, let's build up some amazing formulation, which makes up full-scale, uh, that benefits soybeans. Is is that right?
5: That's exactly right. And the really interesting thing about soybeans, as it pertains to a product like full-scale, is, is there are some different benefits that are given it's not just one extract and that's one of the that's one of the things that makes full scale maybe even a little bit more robust than some other products that have been positioned in that space is that it's not just one extract targeted toward one benefit Um, so things that we see with full scale is is we see an increased retention of pods so we don't abort as many pods and we fill more seed positions but then the, the biggest benefit we get is in seed fill and increasing that test weight and so Going back to the the really interesting thing about soybean biology is you're going to make an application sometime in that reproductive timing earlier on, closer to that uh, probably R two time frame or whatever you're going out with your first fungicide pass in your in your soybeans, and that bean plant is trying to do a whole lot of different things still. Right at that point of the season, it's still growing new leaves. It's certainly putting on more flowers. It's it's turning those flowers into pods, and eventually it's also going to be filling seeds a little bit later in the season. And so if you think about what are the reasons or what are the, the things that cause soybeans to abort those flowers and, and have fewer pods? You know, there's different stresses that are going to be involved in that, like nutritional stress, right? If the plant doesn't, um, I don't mean to personify it, but if the plant doesn't believe that it has enough nutrients to retain a pod and be able to, to produce viable seed out of it, it's going to abort that flower. You know, that's, that's the reason that that happens is, is a perceived lack of ability of finishing that process. And so when we take extracts from plants that are are prolific seed producers and plants that are are exceptional at translocating and remobilizing the nutrients from within the plant, you know, those are some different types of things where, you know, we not only see that increase in yield, but really it's the driving, the reasons behind why that is, I think that really helps. So if, if we're in a phase of development where Nutritional stress, as it related to pod retention, is is a factor. We can retain some more of those pods if it's retaining, turning those pods into, you know, maintaining all the seeding positions in them. You know, so there's a lot of different benefits that can be given from full scale based on the different types of extracts, uh, depending on what that limiting factor is. But ultimately, it's it's about producing more harvestable and heavier pods than seeds at the end of the season. Going back to that. I always like to keep things simple and that, that yield algorithm for soybeans. You know, it's, it's how many seeds per acre, really, when you break it down and, and weight per seed. And, and you get to that by how many plants, how many pods and, and whatnot. But really, it's how many seeds can we get per acre to harvest and then how much do they weigh? And that's what growers really need to understand
0: is, you know, what's really important part of full scale is, is it sounds like we're putting more weight into the seed.
5: Yep, I guess that's the benefit of, uh, I always thought it's an interesting combination that a bushel is a measure of volume, but we measure bushels in weights based on that standard. So the more weight we can get, that'll be a direct translation into bushels. And when we think about some of the key nutrients that drive that late yield and that ability to increase that test weight, um, some of the research that that our, our Helena folks like Dr. Willoughby have shown uh, and really been talking about for a number of years is, is how can we get more phosphorus and zinc into that plant late? And one of the great things that that came out when full scale was launched was information about how much those two nutrients in particular the the transportation of those, the movement of those is upregulated. So how much greater ability that plant is going to have through treatment with full scale to move zinc and phosphorus. so you're effectively almost making a late season application of those nutrients because you're helping that plant to be able to remobilize them better to to turn those those nutrients that were taken up throughout the season into more yield, being more efficient with that process.
0: So Brad, in addition to the plant extracts that are being added to full scale, what else makes up this product?
5: You know, Bill, that, that is a great question. There's a lot of products in the marketplace now that are, or a lot more products coming into the marketplace that are plant extract based and, and outside of the expertise and in, in selecting and uh, processing those extracts. One of the things that, that Helen has added into full scale is our ENC formulation technology. And that, that on its own gives me a lot of confidence in, in a product as being one of our oldest um, additives that, that is really something to, to help enhance plant growth. And that's also, to your other question, going to help with uh, tank mix compatibility and nutrient uptake as well. So we're going to put something else into the into those extracts that's going to help with uptake and give uh, further benefit to that plant growth, and that's even going to be um, a yield enhancement even above and beyond what we see with uh, the addition of fungicides. You know, and, and that's another place where you might see something that's going to talk about that uh, enhanced growth uh, coming out of those out of those types of products. And so uh, these aren't aren't adding or these aren't duplicating that same thing. That's actually adding on to. so that that yield range that that I mentioned earlier, that probably two to five bushel yield range um, that would catch most of what we see, that's going to be on top of the yield increase that we would see with a fungicide. And part of that yield increase is certainly going to be due to ENC formulation technology.
0: That's one of the things that makes full scale, in my understanding, extremely unique versus anything else on the market, because not everyone can offer ENC formulation technology.
5: It's one of our oldest products and still one of the best that uh, nobody's been able to figure out how to to duplicate or come anywhere near, Bill. So, Brad, let me ask you this. It sounds like there's a lot of benefits for
0: growers who are, you know, needing to maximize yield. But what are some of the other challenges? Can we tank mix, for example, full scale with other products? Or are there
5: some things that we really need to be paying attention to you know, that's, that's one of the things that's great about this product not that there aren't challenges or things that we need to take in consideration in management but tank mixing and compatibility is, is never been a challenge of this product um, i would say the only thing to really think about and, and uh, when you're evaluating your cropping system is i'm probably not going to recommend that if you've not done other steps if you've not taken other steps to try to improve your yields in soybeans full scale probably isn't going to be the first step that i would take it's going to be that next step in a, in a higher or an advanced yield management system, right? That That's going to be the one thing that if you don't have the nutrients in the plant to move, then you're not going to get all the benefit out of full scale. You might still see a yield increase, but it's not going to be um, that typical probably two to four or even a little bit higher than that bushel yield response that we would typically see from full scale. And, and so that's the only, if there's going to be a watch out for it, that, that would be where I would say is that this is part of, uh, uh, management system that's geared toward higher yields. So start off strong with a good fertility program,
0: then come back with full scale to finish the crop off. Yep, that's exactly how I would position that, Bill. So, Brad, timing. When should full scale be applied to a certain crop?
5: And that's where we're typically speaking with uh, our plant extract products, you're going to get activity in the plant for two to three weeks after application. So if you would target that R2 to R3 timeframe, which would be pretty common with that first pass fungicide, uh, I think that would be a bad idea. Now, you could certainly go earlier than that uh, with the R1 pass if you're in a, a two-pass disease management program, and that's one of the things that, you know, we're probably not going to be the driver of an application. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of uh, folks that might make a, a full-scale specific application. It's usually going to be part of a fungicide pass. And so really that's the time that you would want to go would be, Uh, Within that fungicide pass, and I would say even if you were going to do an R1 and R3 for your two-pass system, I would maybe go a little bit toward that R3 with the benefits that we see in nutrient mobility or or remobilization to increase test weight and and push yield that way. If you were doing a single pass at the R2 to R3, I would probably stick in that. Uh, I would not maybe go as late as R4. Uh, You might start to see a little bit of a a diminishing gain at that point in the season. But I, I like that R2 to R3 window personally. Uh, from what I've seen over the past several years across the Midwest. Well, Brad,
0: I want to thank you for sharing a little more insight with us today uh, about Full Scale and helping us become a little bit more bean-wise. You can learn more about FullScale as well as other soybean tips in this month's edition on FieldLink. Be sure to check out the FieldLink articles on HelenaAgra.com. Brad, thanks for joining us here on FieldLink. Thanks a lot, Bill. Best of luck, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on FieldLink, and we hope that you've become Beanwise on this episode.